This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. In Ephesians 5, we've been in our subject of uh, uh, our marriage series, which we've entitled Fixing Us, we've been really uh, pulling most of it or focusing out of Ephesians 5. It's not the only portion of Scripture that deals with marriage, but it is a great portion of Scripture and one of the best for you to pull out God's plan, God's purpose in marriage. And in Ephesians 5.31, the Scripture says uh, in verse 31, As the Scriptures say, this is the Apostle Paul talking, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So today our subject, as I said, is we're dealing with the subject of sex. So we're going to talk very frankly about some things. Uh, We're going to deal with some things. And so uh, I want you to keep an open heart and open mind. The sad thing is, um, you know, uh, it used to be that in church you could not talk about sex. Uh, it was taboo. It was something that was not Christian or religious or spiritual enough to be worthy of a time and a service. Now, guys, I'm hearing a hum. If there's any way we can adjust that or do something with that, but if um, <clears throat> not, okay. Um, you know, s- sex was, to a great degree, was was. Cons- that had to be discussed outside the church. And the problem with that is this, is that then we allow the world to establish the concept and the philosophy and the understanding of sex. And what we've really, the church did, is gave it over to the enemy who is going to take things to a perverted way. He's going to try to use everything God created for a destructive purpose where everything that God created is for a constructive, a good purpose. Everything God made is for your good. You look in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, everything, you look through uh, uh, chapter 1 there, in creation, every time God made something, he said what? It is, say it out loud. Say it out loud. It is good. Good. And listen, what you call good and what God calls good, they're not always worlds apart. Now, if you call uh, living for yourself and hurting other people and, and doing whatever you can to get what you want, then that's not good. God doesn't call that good. But really, when God, the things God calls good, you will find that they are good for you. The Bible says God's will is good. In other words, it's going to produce good in your life. The will of God does never produce ill or bad in your life. That's why, you know, some people say, well, about sickness, they'll say, well, God must be doing something. Or when someone dies, oh, God needed to pluck a flower and put it in heaven or something like that. That's God. That is not God. God's not the author of death. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God or death is the last enemy that God's going to conquer. He doesn't like death. He didn't create death. Okay? We're not going to teach on that right now. 
But everything about God that says his will is good for us, it's for our good. Whatever is good, that's you know, God's will. It says it's acceptable. In other words, it's something you know, like you say, I like this. I like this. I really do like it. Some of you were like me before you became a Christian. You had a view of being a Christian that was very, that Christianity was very restrictive. It was very limiting. And basically Christianity was taking from you anything that was fun and happy and good and making you just live by a bunch of rules and under this dark cloud of judgment. You know, I kind of thought that before I got saved. That was my view of Christianity. And that's why I thought, I don't want to be a part of that. But when I did meet Jesus and I did surrender my life to him and I I became a Christian, I discovered, you know, that was a lie. That God living for God and living for him was really, I found suddenly good things in life and happiness and joy and peace that I'd never had before. And the Bible says that God's will, it is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It brings, the word perfect there means to the full completion or to the full measure of whatever something was created for. And so when God talks, uh, God's view of sex is that he wants it to come to the full measure of what he created it for you to enjoy. So let's look at this. First, we're going to look at the prevailing views in the world on sex. And I'm not going to discuss all of them. But there are, I think, three that we're going to look at here. Prevailing views in the world today on sex. One is this. The first one is sex is a part of our lower nature and it is impure. That is a view in the world. If you go, especially you look at a lot of religions of the world, that is a very strong concept within some religions. In this view, sex is considered a necessary evil and its sole purpose is the propagation of the human race. In other words, sex is necessary, but it's really dirty. It's not clean and pure. It's uh, it's impure. Uh, This concept is rooted in Greek philosophy. Uh, The Greek philosophers... They believed everything of the natural body was impure. Anything of your flesh, anything of of your natural body, it was impure. Uh, That all of the natural appetites, anything of of the flesh, of the natural body, it was impure. Plato, who was a famous Greek philosopher, considered sex as a physical appetite of our lower nature. And to the Greek philosophers... The only way to have purity in your life was through knowledge. Uh, To be pure, we have to deny our physical desires and our lower appetites. Some of you are thinking, well, that kind of sounds like the church I used to be in or something. Uh, We'll get to that. This view greatly influenced much of the church. It was not a biblical view. It was a Greek philosophy View or a view of Greek philosophy that had nothing to do. If you were in, you know, in high school, you should or junior high somewhere, you probably studied Greek mythology and all the the gods that uh, of their mythology. But this view got into Christianity and it became known as Gnosticism. 
And it's taken from the word gnosis, uh, G-N-O-S-I-S, which is the Greek word for knowledge, which said everything of the natural is evil and only that which is of, uh, which is of knowledge, which is in, your, in your, uh, to, your ability to think, that's where only, that's the, where only there is purity. But Paul the Apostle confronted Gnosticism and refuted their teachings. Yet, uh, I can remember being around in the early days when I first got, uh, became a Christian. Uh, I remember some older Christians, when you listen to them talk, to, I, I understood that they were saying that, well, sex is something God lets you do, but he closes his eyes and turns his face away because it is not really clean. And if you're really holy, you won't even care about that. Well, I realized I could never be holy. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I'm so glad that that is not the teaching of God. That's not the Bible. That's the, the concepts of men. Some of you in this room have that view of sex. Even the very word is wrong. There's some that wouldn't even come to a service because I'm teaching on sex. And you know what? That opens the door for all kinds of things to take place, doesn't it? All right. The second view is sex is merely a natural appetite like eating and any other physical appetite. That's a view. And if this view is true, or if you take this view, then you, the natural logic in that is that, well, you should feel free then to satisfy that need whenever and however you choose. Just like eating. If you're off uh, on a trip somewhere and you're hungry, you don't have to go back home to eat a meal. You can eat a meal at a restaurant. Uh, you can go through a drive through And if you believe sex is just a natural appetite, then you, if you have all of a sudden the desire, you don't have to go back home to your mate. You can go through a drive through Now, this third view is probably uh, the one that is most accepted uh, among the younger generation today. It's very popular in the world. We see it uh, totally. I mean, if you watch movies and television, I mean, it's going, this is the, this third view that I'm going to speak about. It's what is really promoted there. It's the philosophy. Uh, it's the moray. You know, the moray is a, a basic uh, uh, belief uh, philosophy or a basic uh, way of doing things that a group of people, a, a society commits to and adheres to and accepts. And there is a moray that is really pushed within the media, especially movies and television shows and a lot of things like that. And that is this. The third view is, I would say the other two views tend to be from an older generation uh, now, and there's still some strains of that that have come into the younger generation today, but the younger generation has really adopted and embraced a third view that came along with the postmodern uh, development uh, in uh, society that's been going on in the last 100 or 200, couple of 
hundred years, uh, along with the Renaissance and a lot of different things that took place, and that is the self-actualized autonomous individual. What I mean by that is uh, that life is all about me discovering my potential, reaching my goals, attaining my dreams, and, and being the best me I can be. And that's what is the most important thing in my life. And that's the postmodern concept and also are the modern and postmodern concept. And here is that view. This, the third view is that sex is a form of self-expression. In other words, it is a way... It is a very good way for me to find and discover myself and to be myself. That in sex, I get to discover self-expression. And this is a very common view today. In this view, sex is solely for the satisfaction of the individual. It is about me. Sex is a private thing totally private. It is nobody else's business. It is mine. And even if I'm married, sex is about what I get from this, how I enjoy it. And if I don't, then you're not satisfying me. Uh, This is a very, uh, like I said, a prevailing view today. And under this view, it is the concept or the logic. If you believe that view, then this is the logic logical uh, outcome that each person should be free to pursue the satisfaction they deserve and desire however they choose. And to keep them from that is wrong. Now, we've looked at, and and of course we could spend a lot of time, I'm not uh, by any means saying that we have exposed or discussed these in totality. Uh, We've just skimmed across them. And also there are some other views, but these are the three main prevailing views in the world, not just in America, in the world today. Now, we're talking about sex. This is a church. I'm a preacher, a pastor. And so we're going to deal now with the Bible view of sex. What does the Bible have to say about sex? Well, it's interesting. God has a lot to say about sex. Uh, And the reason is because he's the manufacturer. It was his idea, not Adam and Eve's. Adam didn't, God didn't make Adam and Adam say, make me a woman, I need sex. Uh, God had the idea. God created it. And so God has a lot to say about it. Uh, Because he developed and created it. Okay, the first principle we need to understand, and you need to get this in you. Number one, the Bible view of sex is that sex is good and it is pure. Would you say that with me? Sex is good and it is pure. I know some of you won't even say that. Come on, let's say it. Say it with me. Sex is good and it is pure. Even singles should understand that. All right? Now, I know, oh, no, we don't want them to know that. I don't want my kids to know that because they'll run out. Not if they get a good, balanced view of it. All right. Sex is good and it is pure. And I would say, man, it is good. I'm glad God is not a prude. Do you know what I mean by that? 
My mother-in-law, I loved my mother-in-law. She was my best friend other than Denise uh, while she was alive. She and I talked probably every day. We prayed a lot all the time together and we'd talk over all kinds of things. She and I had a great relationship. But now she was from the old school and she would not even say the word sex. She wouldn't. And if she was around Denise and I and and, uh, she would say S-E-X. That's what she would say. You know, she would say, and, and she'd start talking about something. And mother and Denise would say, mom, are you talking about sex? She said, oh, don't say that. She said, she said, yes, S-E-X. And, uh, <clears throat> but you know, uh, sex or God develops sex and he's not a prude. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed. God's face doesn't get red when you talk about sex. It doesn't. God made, now listen to this, in the garden, God made man and woman for each other. You hear what I said? When God made woman, he said, see, man had God, but God said, no, he needs somebody. He needs someone else that's got flesh on him. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And he said, it's not good that man should be alone. So he didn't make another man. And all the men said, thank God. He did not make another man, did he? He made a woman and she's different. And they fit together in a lot of ways. And it was for a purpose. Are you listening to me? I don't get ashamed. God did this. Quit being so afraid. If your religion falls apart in this kind of discussion, you need to anchor your relationship with Jesus into the Bible instead of into religion. Okay? Because we cannot communicate with the world if we're so fragile and have misunderstandings about these things. God made man and woman for each other. And what did he say when he made them? Now, when God made everything else, he said, what? It is good. But when he made man and woman, he said, it is very good. Very good. Now, when God made them, guess what? They didn't have any clothes on. And he looked at their two nude bodies of Adam standing there. And in the original, when, when God woke Adam up and there stands Eve, totally nude, not a stitch of clothing on her, the words that came out of Adam's mouth was this, at last. (laughs) And all the men should know what I'm talking about, but so should all the women. Adam said, at last. (laughs) I mean, I like walking with you in the cool of the day in the garden, but oh, baby. She's looking good. And God made it for that. You see, and what God was saying about when God said at last, he was talking about not just the fact that, no, I've made a woman for man. He was saying them, their bodies, their natural bodies, the fact that he's made this way and she's made that way. And I made them to fit together. And he was talking about sex When he said, it is very good. All right. So, 
God said, sex is very good. Why don't you say that? Sex is very good. (laughs) Okay, sex is God's idea. And to him, it is a beautiful and pure thing. It is not just beautiful though. It is even sacred to God. Because everything he made is sacred. That, and don't, sacred, you think, well, then we can't mess it up. Well, if you do God's way, you, you don't mess it up. It's our way and the world's way that starts messing things up. Are you with me? See, I don't have to, see, when Denise and I make love, we don't have to run, hide somewhere and, and think, well, God's not, you know, hopefully God's not looking. Neither do we have to say, okay, let's both pray while we're doing this to keep it holy. The last thing I want Denise to do is start quoting the Bible to me. From... I want her to say something else to me. I want her to whisper sweet nothings in my ear. I want her to tell me what a man I am. And when she does, the last thing God wants Denise to do when we make love is for her to say, Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy. No! You know what he wants her to do? If Jesus was there and say, Denise, get real. Make love to Steve. Let him know he's a man. Let him know he has your heart. He's everything you desire. He's everything you want. Let him light your fire and you light his. Okay. That's number one. Sex is good and it's pure. The second Bible view of sex. I'm talking Bible. I'm not saying this has to be your view. I'm just telling you God's view is this, that sex is for a man and a woman within the marriage covenant. Okay, I dropped a bomb there. To many, to many, even within the church, this is an outdated and archaic view that is not relevant today. It's an archaic concept that is old school and that's not life today. It's not real. It's not relevant. And to, our, to the postmodern society of today, the dominant reality is this, the present and that is what matters. Reality is the present. Uh, we've tried to disengage ourselves from history, from what used to be so that it's all about the now. It's what I want now, what I feel now, what I experience now. These are my realities, and they're all that matters to me. When we disconnect ourselves from historically accepted principles and mores, we are like a ship that has lost its moorings. Yes, we're free. We're out there. But the trouble is we're free to be destroyed, to be overrun, to be annihilated. We are set adrift. Now, hear me. When God talks about sex for the marriage 
He says this about marriage. He said, the marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, have fun. Enjoy yourself. Explore each other. Listen, there's not one way to have sex. Are you listening to me? God says the bed's undefiled. But now, if he says if you're going to go outside the bed, in other words, outside and you're going to go with other people, he says, now that's defiling. And when God does that, God is not trying to keep something from us. He is wanting to keep something for us. God is not trying to limit our pleasure, but since he created sex, he knows how to get the most pleasure from it, in it, with it. And so he is trying to help us enjoy sex to the fullest. Okay, the next principle is this. Sex is for pleasure. Bible view. Sex is for pleasure. I remember when uh, Denise and I got married, we had to go to the doctor to have physical, you know, what your thing before, whatever it was, blood tests and all that. Before we got married, it was a family doctor, old country family doctor that my family had had forever. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, you know why you're getting married, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, no, I'm not saying that. He said, it's for procreation. It's just to produce more kids. See, his view was that this is sex is merely a physical thing that is just for the procreation of the human race. That's totally foreign to the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it even hint that. The Bible is very plain, very clear, and very straightforward that sex is not primarily for procreation. It is for the pleasure of the man and the woman and the building of their relationship. As a matter of fact, it's at the very heart and center of the marriage covenant. It's at the heart and center of them building a wholesome relationship. Now, they will have to struggle through things because you will never find that both people have the same sex drive. Just like no two people have the same personality. And the old adage or the old thought that, well, the man's supposed to be the pursuer. Sometimes the woman is. Because she may have a stronger sex drive than the man does. And it's not for them to conflict with each other. It's for them to work together. You remember when God made woman, he said this is a help meet. What does that mean? It means someone called along with you to walk through life together with you so that where you're weak, she'll be strong. Where she's weak, you'll be strong. And together you're better. Like two back to back on the battlefield, staying against the enemy. They make a stronger defense against all the things that come against them. The Bible views sex for this purpose. Listen to this. That it is for the giving and receiving of unbounded love between husband and wife. Let me say that again. The Bible view of sex is this. It is for the giving and and receiving of unbounded love between husband and wife. 
There is no way on earth a person can give themselves more to a person than in the act of sex. In sex, there is the ultimate giving we have of ourselves to one another. It is the most intimate and fulfilling experience God created between two people. That's why I said, I titled the message, Okay, I do desire to get to know your mind, but I still want your body. Because, yeah, I want us to sit and talk, and I want us to, I want to hear all that. I want us, we need to communicate. But the best way to, <laughs> I want to end the conversation together. I'll listen if we get there. No, no, no. Strike that from the uh, court records. <clears throat> but no. Talking is wonderful and it is and necessary. And Denise and I teach a lot about communication. She does especially when she's talking with couples about communication and how important it is. And absolutely it is. But I'm telling you what, between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, there. The ultimate communication, after you've talked and everything, there are things that you express in sex, in the intimacy, the sexual relationship with each other that you cannot say any other way. And it says things that no words can say. In the act, listen, in the act of sex, the two bodies literally become one body. I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The two bodies become one. And you know what? Sex, in the act of sex, it takes us back to the garden in the beginning before evil ever touched our lives. The next view in the Bible regarding sex is this. Sex is a uniting act. It is an act that unites us. Sex brings us together. Listen to this. Not only physically, but emotionally. And here's something a lot of people don't understand. Even spiritually. That's why when you study religions, not that you need to, but uh, in college we had to study uh, all of the major religions of the world and many that are not major religions. That, uh, But... In so many religions, especially historically, guess what was at the very core of their religious practices? Sex. Isn't it something that so many cults, you know what a cult is? It's a religious group that is totally set aside from scripture or any accepted normal religious practice. Isn't it something that when you hear about these cults and cult leaders, do you know what you'll find? Sex is very, is at the very heart of a lot of what's going on. 
where you may find a guy that has sex with all the women and all the young girls. And even if they get married, they have to have sex with him first. Why is sex at the heart of all of this? People say that's because everybody loves sex and that's that evil sex. No, it's because there is something in us that realizes, man, that thing's powerful because God created it. See, it unites us physically, yes, but also emotionally, where all of a sudden when I have sex with someone, my soul touches their soul and they touch mine and our souls become united and even our spirits touch. That's why God says, and the two shall become one. The Bible says that when we have sex with someone, we become one with them. The Bible says that. Our soul is united with theirs. Our spirit intertwines with theirs. And we are one. Now hear me. We have sex with someone. We leave their presence. Say a guy goes and pays a prostitute to have sex with him to meet his needs. He goes and does that. And a few minutes later, he's on, in the car leaving. He leaves her presence, but a part of him stays there and a part of her goes with him. And they don't understand that. We may leave their presence, but a connection has been made that we cannot simply walk away from. It goes with us. In a way, when we get married, we marry that person and all the people they've had relations with, sexual relations. That's heavy. That's heavy. Now, let me be open and honest. I'm not going to get into details, but I was not a Christian. I had a rock and roll band. I traveled. I was a sailor. I was around the world. I was not a Christian. I did a lot of things. Need I say more? When I married Denise, there had been a lot of other women before she ever came into my life. And in the first four years of our marriage, I was not a Christian, didn't care to be a Christian, had no desire to be a Christian. But I did have a lot of baggage that I was dragging around and could not understand what it was. And the issue was, I had had so many relationships that I had connections all over the world. I had connections in different places with different people, with women that I don't even remember their name, couldn't remember their face because it was a one night stand. But there was a connection and a part of me. And so I had trouble believing in or giving myself totally because I had been given away so much. Let's look at this. See, this is a reason, a major reason God cautions us in the Bible to keep sex within the marriage covenant. Now listen. Everybody that's had sex out of marriage, does God say, you're going to hell? No. But God does say, you're tearing yourself up. 
you're doing something to yourself that it's not an, unless you get help, you'll never quit paying the price. Let's look at it. God, uh, let's go a little further. Sex, what is the issue with sex? It is an, another Bible view is, it is an act of commitment. Are you listening to me? In the Hebrew culture, as soon as the ceremony was finished, the couple went immediately to a private chamber. They didn't get in their car and go somewhere. They didn't get on an airplane and go uh, to an island. They had the ceremony and right there, some, usually, sometimes they were, the woman was carried and the man was escorted right to the bedchamber. And it was already prepared. The family had prepared it and got it ready for them because the thing they were supposed to do is go consummate the marriage. And the marriage was not considered complete in the Hebrew ceremony until they consummated the marriage. In other words, consummate means to complete an agreement by a pledge. Did you hear what I said? In the Hebrew ceremony, they had to consummate the marriage because when the preacher said, I now pronounce your husband and wife, that wasn't the end. That was just getting ready for the, the consummation. And as soon as they said that, they broke the guys that did all that. Then they went to the bedchamber. They had sex, which consummated the marriage, which meant that they both gave a pledge, this is forever. And that's why God meant, now, don't get upset, but that's why God meant for the hymen to be broken in the marriage bed because what happens to the man, as soon as it breaks the hymen, the blood flows over his member. And there is a blood covenant then cut between the man and that woman that is forever. See, God made this thing good. He knew what he was doing. Now, <clears throat> sex is a pledge between a man and a woman of our love and our commitment to each other for life. And there is no greater pledge between two people on earth. No greater pledge. Every time we give ourselves to another person in sex, we make a pledge with them of our love and commitment. Even the example of, say, the guy, he goes and gets a prostitute and he has no bit intention of pledging or committed or being in love with her. He just wants his needs met. He goes and does that. But you see, actually, the, the way that sex was created, it's going to operate the way God made it. It's going to do what God intended it to do. That's why a horse has to act like a horse. He cannot act like a cow, a snake, a fish. Why? Because God made him to be a horse and God made sex to do something. And so sex, whether it's used, no matter how we use it, just like no matter how you deal with the horse anywhere in the world, it's still a horse. And no matter how you'd handle sex, it's still sex and the way God made it. And sex, every time we give ourselves to another person sex, we make a pledge with, our love, with them of our love and commitment. So when we have multiple partners, it's a pledge 
that we break over and over and over again, which I did. I didn't know this. When I was a kid, a young kid, going out doing things, and as I grew up to be a man, I didn't know this. But it was a baggage I took into the marriage that I, I didn't understand what the problem was. But there was something. Here's what it is. Listen to me. When we break that pledge over and over and over again, we have to. Because if we have sex with someone that we're going to leave and go have sex with someone else, we've made a pledge to that one, we've made a pledge to that one. But we're not going to keep that, so we break that pledge. And each time we break that pledge that we didn't even realize we made, it loses a part of its meaning to our heart. Now listen, you're, you have a conscious mind, but you have a subconscious mind. Each time we give away that, we do that, and we break that pledge, it loses a part of its meaning to us until it is lost completely, and that's where I was. That's where I was. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I loved Denise, but I realized there was something holding me back. And when we made love... I was having sex, and she was trying to make love, and I just was going to have sex. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't give my heart completely. There was something like a wall, a veil between what I wanted to do and what I could do, and I didn't understand it. Here's what happened to me, and this is... Not just for me, it's any of us. We lose faith in our ability, and this is what happened to me. I lost faith in my ability to commit to her or to anyone and truly love. Do you understand what I said? Because I had broken that pledge, I'd made it and broken it over and over again. Didn't realize I was doing that, but that's a horse is a horse. And I'd broken it over and over again to where that it came, when I came to the person I did want to commit to, I did want to love, I did want to spend my life with, I was having problems internally. And there was a struggle going on inside me. In my head, I said, I want to do this. With, a part, with my heart, I was saying, I love her. What is holding me back? What is the issue? It was that. See, here's what happens. Our heart realizes, our internal heart, who you are that will live forever, that person inside you that you really are. Your body may look great now. 50 years from now, it won't look the same. But you'll still, you'll still, that person is still there. Our heart, when we break that pledge over and over again, our heart realizes to us that sex is purely for our own physical pleasure. And so here's what our heart does. It disconnects. Just like you got a trailer behind the car. 
If that king becomes disconnected, you may be going down the road, but all of a sudden here comes a trailer. And it goes over. And I know a guy had a friend. He got him a nice boat and everything. Was so proud of that boat. Hooked it up. Took off to the lake. And while he's driving along, he looked over and saw a trailer. And he said, that looks just like my boat. That looks like my trailer. And nobody's pulling it. And all of a sudden, it hit the median and turned over and destroyed his boat and the trailer. Why? See, when we continually do that, our heart says, okay, I understand now. Sex is for your physical pleasure. So your heart disconnects and says, I understand. So I will not connect sex with the giving of love. And that's where I was. That's why the Bible teaches us we should reserve it for marriage. Now, also, the Bible says that teaches us that sex is for healing. For healing. Sex causes the brain to release chemicals that strengthen our immune system, relieve pain, and relieve stress. Do you know when Isaac's mother died? Listen to this. The Bible tells when Isaac's mother died, Rebecca took him into her tent. And the Bible says she ministered to him. What do you think she did? He was grieving and stressed. He had lost his mother. And so Rebecca takes him into the tent and they have sex and it relieves some pressure. The stress. Sex brings healing and wholeness to our souls. It reassures us, listen to this, that we are loved and valued. It creates a sense of safety and security. If you remember in previous teachings, I talked about the core issues that we all deal with that create our fusses and our fights. It creates a feeling of completeness within us. In sex, each says to the other, you are safe within my love. I am completely yours and you are mine for as long as we live. So is it any wonder then that adultery is so hurtful to the other individual? Now, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about. And that is sex is to be erotic. Now, erotic is not a bad word. It doesn't belong to porn sites. It is, some, it is really something God created. Erotic simply means to have a heightened state of emotional and physical arousal. You read the book of the Song of Solomon. God doesn't mince words. Uh, I mean, if I was to teach from the book of Solomon, we'd have a lot of embarrassed people and I'd probably get some nasty emails saying, you were a little too plain for my comfort level. You should, a preacher should never even talk that kind of language. Well, it's in the Bible. See, it's very plain. And you know what? It, it is very evident in there that God means for when you're having sex with your mate, for there to be a lot of arousal. You ought to be, I mean, at the peak of emotional and physical arousal. Sex should arouse and satisfy each partner in a way that nothing else can. There's something wrong when we'd rather go watch uh, TV than have sex or we'd rather uh, 
go do something else than have sex with our mate. I'm not talking we got to have sex all the time, but I mean, it should not be things that we enjoy more than that. There's something wrong. We need to work to develop that with each other. In sex, each partner should seek to please and arouse the other. When this is the practice, it's not about me. See, when, you know, when Denise and I, in making love, I am to make sure she has the best experience. It's about making her, whoa! And she, for her, it's about making me that way. And when we both have that for each other, we're guaranteed to have a wonderful experience. And it's not about just me. Sex is meant to be euphoric, flooding us with a sense of contentment. Here's the closing thing. Sex is the consummation of an ongoing romance, a continual giving of ourselves to each other, expressing our love and commitment to one another. That's why God doesn't, he says, don't give it out there. Don't spill your seed out there everywhere to men. But it's the same for women. He's saying, don't go out and just use it like that. That's not what it's for. You're hurting yourself. And you're, you're, de- you're demeaning its power, its potential, its wonderful, glorious reality. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.